Welcome back to Mark's Badness, now part of Chocoluta. I was wondering what he was going to do. That was very sing song. <laughs> like a dog just fucking turned around. I was like... Rah, rah, rah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, nobody knows what's happening behind the no. scenes, but no, David, that was so good. David is multitasking for a very tiny window of this episode, and, and in the middle of multitasking, I jumped to the call. Yeah, I, I just wanted to see what would happen. <laughs> so we're all here for once to get. Oh shit! I'm probably being super loud while my kid's trying to get to sleep, so I should okay. stop being so funny. Well, um, Prez we is going to talk for a second, and that will cool everybody down. <laughs> yeah, but we are all three here again. Um, welcome back to Mark's Madness part pod, part of Chunk Luton Network, and uh, with that, I'll let Prez talk a little bit since I'm juggling. Yeah, give us a news item, Prez. So, would you guys like to hear about the grain futures of Nigeria? This is like the opening to Star Wars Episode 1. You wanted to calm down, so I'm giving you some very uh, interesting information. Yeah, let's hear it. This... I nope. I asked for it. I don't actually know anything about grain futures. Oh my Nigeria. god! Okay, you really <laughs> sold it. I was like, this is this is Prez one hundred and one. Um, no, but so uh, Iran struck U.S. Uh, bases and Israeli bases in Iraq, and they also struck uh, the base of the group that did the bombing a few weeks ago in Iran where they killed the people who were going to do the funeral of Soleimani. Um, and Israel and the U.S. are both actively denying that those that, that base has anything to do with the U.S., and it just so happens that they struck that base like a day after they bombed American bases in Kurdistan. <laughs> <laughs> so they're definitely... Definitely all linked together. Yeah. Uh, so Iran did some military strikes in Iraq, uh, Iraqi Kurdistan specifically, and then Pakistan. So I wonder if China helped them identify agents in the area or something. Oh, uh, well, no. You, we should not underestimate how good Iranian intelligence is. Like, they. <laughs> you think very, they've just been sitting on that for a while? Or, like, I, I just. No, don't. they're very good at finding people. Like they're yeah. they're really good. Um, um, they probably knew what was going on. It's just that they just didn't do anything. Also, the the people who are in that area are active anyway. It's just that they weren't bombing cities in the country <laughs> to that scale. Fair. Uh, and before a couple of weeks ago, so yeah. Um. Yeah, so that that was, and now all the all the Western media is saying that Iran is escalating the tensions in the Middle East, because of course it's definitely Iran, and as I, if nothing else is going on. I this is the U.S. seems very, very, very keen on starting World War Three. We all kind of were surprised that Ukraine didn't do that, and we've talked about these are long processes. They're obviously backing this uh, genocide um, against Palestinians in Gaza and this Taiwanese election that just happened 
there's there's the DPP, which is the so to people that that don't know history, Taiwan KMT got kind of sheltered by the U.S. running away, losing the Chinese Civil War right after World War II. The DPP has been the emerging pro-U.S. party, which is socially more left-wing, I guess, but still kind of centrist. This is why I don't like that left-wing right-scale stuff, right? You know, we talked about this with with Venezuela, where um, oh, what's his face that declared himself president and and got beat up. Um, I'm totally Juan Guaido. Juan Guaido. Juan Guaido. You the know, president's name. cousin, namesake, whatever yes. you want to call. <laughs> um, his his entire like named Prez after this whole thing. <laughs> it literally, this does it, do. Have we told this lore? No. We should tell <laughs> this lore after. <laughs> uh, but you know, Juan Guaido. If you put all his, you know, uh, um stances on paper and like, you know, wasn't like foreign relations with this company or country. It was just this, right. He'd be left of Bernie Sanders, but he was a lurch rightward to collapse, you know, the left wing system and, 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 um, um, uh, you know, the, the Chavismo in, in Venezuela. And so like the whole left right wing scale, it doesn't really matter. So it matters, but like, I hate the precipice of that. But in that case, the DPP is theoretically more left-wing and liberal, and and than than the KMT. I you know not liberal in the the economic sense, but liberal in like what we think of socially. And uh, there's also a new emerging party too, the TPP that's that's coming up. So they're in the election. There was a huge election, and basically going into this election, uh, the DPP was like, "Yeah, we win." There's there's going to be like you know we're going to bring in some U.S. weapons and U.S. troops, and and we're just going to arm the whole fucking place and be super set a separatist with the U.S. The KMT was like, no, we're not, we're not doing that. And the KMT had made some big headway this last election because the the DPP um, was scaring people. And then, of course, the DPP really pissed people off with the Pelosi visit. You remember recently? Well, the DPP, uh, specifically uh, Lai Ching-te, um, won the presidential election of Taiwan. And so, if there's not enough other signs of you know, impending World War Three in the U.S. trying to start that. And if we didn't know, they were already trying to break Taiwan off. Uh, those efforts are going hard and and just won the, the Taiwanese election, um, which is is uh, they, they should bring period. back the, the one person owning all the eggs. <laughs> the egg monopoly lady that was funny i twitter is a fun place twitter's twitter yeah yeah um but yeah so i mean a lot of different things are happening that it, it's like the u.s seems to be leaning hard into every front they can to start world war three yeah yeah i was gonna say it definitely feels like world war three and i'm just saying if that's the case this is a great book to have been made and be reading thank you press Mm-hmm. For stealing all these works and compiling them for, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. but you know, like uh, we need to, like I'm just saying, we are in a war position. It's just gonna hit the fans sooner than you think. <laughs> Be fucking ready, holy shit! Mm-hmm. Shit's getting mm-hmm. out there. <laughs> yes. Um, also, remember that as these wars ramp up. Um, you know, and obviously we see it with what's going on in Gaza, but <laughs> think of 
the racist and colonial mindset of the United States, that there are concentration camps along the border, that is a bipartisan fact, that, you know, reservations essentially are a concentration camp system. No, they are. There's yeah. no essentially. They, well, okay. They are literally a concentration camp. We, we, I, I get given a number at birth that corresponds to the prisoner of war camp that we are placed in. Still live in. I found out today, actually. Um, apparently right after Indonesian independence, when a whole bunch of Indonesians like fled the country and went to the Netherlands because it was a Dutch colony. Um, so you know how the Germans occupied the Netherlands, um, instead of saying, Hey, thanks for fighting for us in this. And we're going to give you, uh, Comprador's some houses and stuff they stuck them in the concentration camps that the germans put the jews <laughs> and these people are still living in the neighborhoods that that is in wow Jesus. But yeah, my entire thing is like, we just have to be willing to just call it out. Like, you can say it with your yeah. chest. There's no reason to tiptoe around calling a reservation a concentration camp. It's, you know, <laughs> like up until the 90s, you literally had to get a permission slip. And if you didn't come back on time, they would arrest you. You know, like that's. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty fucked up. That's the 90s. Like, that's. I was born then. Yeah, I was born before then. Um, <laughs> um, so yeah, no, you're right. And and the thing I was going to allude to is it's it's very it's very important to get our defenses up because as world wars ramp up, uh, genocides ramp up. You saw, you know, of course, even even look back to World War One, right? And uh, our things like the Armenian genocide in the lead up to World War One, right? Um, these things kick up and. We are seeing policies across the United States and Canada against homeless people that right. are just absolutely ruthless. Wisconsin's literally suggesting a concentration camp for houseless people, and that you know, like, and that's under the ex- same guise as you know Israel's humanitarian. What do they call it? The the forced migration of Palestinians this time. They call a it humanitarian a- corridor. I think they were calling it. <laughs> no, no. There's a new phrase. They're oh. I forget what it was. Uh, anyway, like a humanitarian relocation or something like it's something fucked up. Like that. It's like, come on, humanitarian <laughs> displacement. Yeah, I mean, might as well be. Uh, and, but yeah, forget. And then in Victoria, you know, well, they just started to do a sweep. Actually, like in Vancouver, even now too. Uh, yesterday, two days ago. Yeah, with um, minus negative temperatures. Negative temperatures. They are throwing people's homes in the trash in yeah, negative so temperatures. We bought a bunch of tents out there to hand down and try to help people. I mean, like, that's, that's I mean, that's a weapon. Uh, the USU uh, Unity Struggle Unity released an article called The Cold is a Weapon. And, you know, it reminds me very much of when, like, I was 18, 19, taking the bus to work. And like uh, freezing cold. I mean, like on the news, I remember reading like five people froze to death in Chicago, right? And then like I'm just going to the bus stop where the homeless guy usually lives, and 
you know, hey, what's up? You need a cigarette? You know, you go to like wake him up, shake him, and like he's stuck to the bench in debt. You know, like <sighs> like it's a weapon. More clearly seen in Canada's Starlight tours, right? Like you know, cops bringing out drunk natives and telling them to walk negative 30 degrees. I mean, that's a death sentence. Extrajudicial, carried out through settler violence of a comprador. I'm not comprador. That's a class trader. That's still a worker, technically, right? There's just a class trader. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, so we... The winter, of course, is is an important time to bring it up, and and these are our, I mean, real life and death stakes, especially right now, and uh, so we need to work all the harder, you know. Um, every every time you do work and you're you're saving lives, right? There's there's no revolution with no people to fight for and fight with. Um, but on top of that, the whole point of this revolution, I hope there's some moral drive for you for you know the liberation of of the oppressed people there's i hope there's some self-interest of you know liberation there and um you know those those things don't happen if you die it needs to go beyond self-interest is the issue well yeah the problem is so many people only care about revolution because like i want a better life and that's if that's where you're at you need to go beyond that yeah do better because it's not about when revolution isn't about you. It's about everybody being free. You know, you can't be free until everybody else is free. And like fundamentally you have to absolve that individualism where you go, I'm only interested in revolution because I get to be free. You know, that's what's limiting us. Like (laughs) we need to actually develop a collective psyche and (laughs) pro cult, you know? (laughs) Yeah, no, you're, you're right and that's and that's a good correct like i mean like we represent like three percent of the population and a lot of people just go oh it's your problem you know and like we read the entire red deal specifically to point out our issues are your issues and we've been fighting for them a lot longer than you have you know (laughs) so it's like you know we got we got to do better we just got to do better a lot quicker (laughs) Yeah, um, I mean, it shouldn't be surprising to us the same ideologies and people that are leading the march towards human extinction are leading the march towards human extermination in the interim, and the people that are fighting hardest against human extinction are fighting hardest against human extermination in the interim, and we need to be fighting on that front. If you want to see some great ideas, check out our friends over at the Black People's Union in Australia. You know, just saying. <laughs> and uh, are we done with the uh, current events? If you don't know about Black People's Union in Australia, they've been doing a bunch of cool shit. So, yeah, I don't have anything else for current events. Do you have anything else, Prez? No. Okay. Um, then we should move on to the reader. And I believe I was the one that did not read last time. So I will probably jump in there. We're on slide 149. It has a little page 196 on top there. Uh, section seven or yeah, section seven political ideologies. 
One of the points which is most interesting to examine and analyze in detail is Crochet's doctrine of political ideologies. Uh, insert uh, uh, Zizek meme. Pure ideology. Oh, we need that sound <laughs> That'd be a good one. His ideologies. Uh, for Crochet 2 now, for Crochet 2 now, Superstructures are merely apparent and illusory, but he has thought through this change in his position, and in particular, does it correspond to his activity as a philosopher? Crochet's doctrine on political ideologies is evidently derived from the philosophy of praxis. They are practical constructions, instruments of political leadership. In other words, one could say that ideologies for the govern are mere illusions, a deception to which they are subject. While for the governing, they constitute a willed and knowing deception. For the philosophy of praxis, ideologies are anything but arbitrary. They are real historical facts which must be combated, and their nature as instruments of dominion revealed, not for reasons of morality, etc., but for reasons of political struggle. In order to make the governed intellectually independent of the governing, in order to destroy one hegemony and create another, as a necessary moment in the revolutionizing of praxis, Crochet would seem to be nearer than the philosophy of praxis be near yeah, be nearer than the philosophy of praxis to the vulgar materialist interpretation. Uh it is interesting we were talking before, Prez, about like the like for like of philosophy of praxis and Marxism and uh, there was a uh, feels like this is kind of in between there where it's clearly Marxist, but there was kind of a, a rub or a play on the revolutionizing of praxis. I, I feel there too. So um, I'm paying close attention to those words now <laughs> and I hope the people listening are too. Uh, for the philosophy of praxis, the superstructures are an objective and operative reality, or they become so when they are not pure products of the individual mind. It explicitly asserts that men become conscious of their social position, and therefore of their tasks, on the terrain of ideologies, which is no small affirmation of reality. The philosophy of praxis itself is a superstructure. It Every is time I hear it, I kind of feel like the DiCaprio meme from that... Uh the one about the Manson murders. What's that one? Hollywood story. I don't know. Fucking not a, not a good cast of people. <laughs> <laughs> Def, definitely should look into their hard drives. Okay. Um, the philosophy of praxis itself is a superstructure. It is the train on which determinate social groups become conscious of their own social being, their own strength, their own tasks. I don't need to be told about your uh, philosophy. I know how oppressed I am type stuff is like, no, like we, we need to, it's about consciousness. Um, their own becoming in this sense, crochet himself is right. When he asserts that the philosophy of praxis is history already made or in the process of becoming. There is, however, a basic difference between the philosophy of praxis and other philosophies. Other ideologies are non-organic creations because they are contradictory, because they aim at reconciling opposed and contradictory interest. Their historicity will be brief because contradiction emerges after each event of which they have been the instrument. 
The philosophy of praxis, on the other hand, does not tend towards the peaceful revolution of contradictions existing within history. It is itself the theory of those contradictions. It is not an instrument of government dominant groups or in order to gain the consent of and exercise hegemony over subaltern classes. It is the expression of these subaltern classes who want to educate themselves in the art of government and who have an interest in knowing all the truths, even unpleasant ones, and in avoiding deceptions. And he puts it in parentheses, impossible, <laughs> by the ruling class and even more by themselves. The criticism of ideologies in the philosophy of praxis attacks the complex of superstructures and affirms their rapid transience and that they tend to hide reality, namely a struggle and contradiction, even when they are formally dialectical, like Croshism. That is to say, they present a speculative and conceptual dialectic and do not see the dialectic and the historical becoming itself, um, which is why liberalism whether it's it's quote-unquote conservative um or it's you know quote-unquote more liberal is tends to be obsessed with things like debate and, and things like that right you know my ideas are the most right i wanted in the marketplace of ideas well that's why we have a strict policy about dealing with pedantic debate <laughs> bros on twitter it's like, mm-hmm. If, if it's an easy kill, you know, maybe. But if it's like somebody who I'm like, I'll, I'll have to put a lot of work into this. and It's just not worth it. Not worth it, yep. <laughs> it's one thing when I'm dunking on a child. That's, you know, child's play. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, the concept of the concrete historical value of the superstructures in the philosophy of praxis must be enriched by juxtaposing it with Sorel's concept of historical block. If men conscious of their social position and their tasks on the terrain of superstructures, this means that between the structure and the superstructure, a necessary and vital connection exists. One should find out what currents of historiography the philosophy of praxis was reacting against at the time of its foundation and what were the most widespread opinions at the time with respect to other sciences too. We actually talked about this. Think of the context of when Marx is writing. We talked about that last time. So uh, the very images and metaphors on which the founders of the philosophy of praxis frequently draw give some clues to this direction. The argument that the economy is to society what anatomy is to biological sciences, one must remember the struggle that went on in the natural sciences to expel from the scientific terrain principles of classification that were based on external and transient elements. If animals were classified according to the color of their skin, their hair, or their plumage, everyone nowadays would protest. In the human body, it certainly cannot be said that the skin and also the historically prevalent type of physical beauty are mere illusions and that the skeleton anatomy are the only reality. However, for a long time, something similar to this was said. By highlighting the anatomy and the function of the skeleton, nobody was trying to claim that man, still less woman, can live without the skin. Going on with the same metaphor, one can say it is not the skeleton, strictly speaking, which makes one fall in love with a woman but that one nevertheless realizes how much the skeleton contributes to the grace of their movements, etc. 
<laughs> this is such a weird analogy. It is, but I I don't know. Maybe I'm maybe I I'm just it. sympathetic to analogies because that's how I like to think and talk too. I feel like um, there was a very better way to explain. I'm this. sure. I'm sure, but you know, also what if like this lady did you not didn't catch have the, any bones. Yeah, I will. Yeah, but there was there was some some. Uh, um, I don't know if they're really subtle, but there was some digs of phrenology in there. That was that was pretty solid. Oh, for sure. But I just, <laughs> <laughs> I get it. I get it. I feel like it was really well. Maybe not in a fascist society. It's kind of like the amount I've heard more about phrenology as like a they're hiding it from us. They don't want us to know about this science. And it's like, oh my god. Have you never heard of transvestigating people? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fucking yeah. amazing. Literally, like, <laughs> skull measuring. Oh, my God. But also, like, one, we're going to get into it more later, but fascist ideology is absolutely insane. As we get into it, we're going to kind of realize, like, how absolutely unhinged American... I don't think you understand how often I talk to, like, actual fascists. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, I should have had an oath keeper in my home. Like, no, like I had an oath keeper in my house. Yeah, at one point, I turned his wife <laughs> against him. But <laughs> fucking insane shit. I mean, like to have somebody in your face being like, "It's a good thing we killed your people," and it's like, cool. You're not a normal person, are you? <laughs> but no, I will say. I mean, it is always perplexing because there's no way in your life to avoid that. That white supremacists are kind of everywhere. So there are going to be plenty of them that know the people you know and know you. And yet in spite of that fact and that you're very aware of that fact and that they seem to, I guess, interact normally in society enough where, you know, they go by day to day. Half the time, it's almost like they're speaking another fucking language. It's like, what are you talking about? What events are you talking about? What are these words? What are you fucking doing? They invented the virus in the Ukraine. Exactly. Like what the fuck? And that's why they had Russia. And it's a, it's an anti-Russia, anti-vaccine guy, though. It's a different kind of guy. Very rare. <laughs> With that, an anti-Russia, anti-vaccine guy. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> uh, another element in the preface to a contribution to the. Con- critique is without a doubt to be connected to the reform of legislation on trials and punishments. The preface says that just as one does not judge an individual by what he thinks of himself, so one cannot judge a society by its ideologies. This affirmation is perhaps connected to the reform in penal judgments, whereby material proofs and the oral evidence of witnesses have replaced the statements of the accused and the corresponding use of torture, etc. That also, that, I I could see where Gramsci was like, this is some bullshit, because that phrase feels like something someone would throw on Twitter to, to dust Marxism off, and it's it's the same, it's always that facile bullshit right it's always that like crappy sales pitch type bullshit like you can't judge a society by its ideologies you wouldn't judge a person by that describe themselves that fuck off i still have ideologies how you describe yourself is not a motivating factor in everyday decisions um 
referring to so-called natural laws and the concept of nature, natural right, state of nature, etc., which emerged in the philosophy of the 17th century and was dominant in the 18th, Crochet mentions that this conception is in fact only obliquely attacked by Marx's critique, which analyzing the concept of nature showed how it was the ideological complement of the historical development of the bourgeoisie an enormously powerful weapon which the bourgeoisie used against the privileges and oppressions it sought to destroy. Crochet uses this observation to make the following methodological statement, that concept may have arisen as an instrument for practical and occasional ends, and yet it may still be intrinsically true. Natural laws are equivalent in that case to rational laws, and it is necessary to deny the rationality and excellence of those laws. Now, precisely because it is of metaphysical origin, that concept can be radically rejected, but one cannot refute it in its particularity. It wanes with the metaphysics to which it belonged, and it seems now to have waned for good. Peace be unto the great goodness of natural laws. The passage as a whole is not very clear or lucid. One should reflect on the fact that in general, i.e. sometimes, a concept may, may arise as an instrument for a practical and occasional end and nonetheless be intrinsically true. But I do not believe that there are many who would maintain that once a superstructure is altered, all the elements of the corresponding su superstructure must, be, must necessarily collapse. What happens rather is that out of an ideology that arose to lead the popular masses and which therefore necessarily takes account of certain of their interests, several elements survive. The law of nature itself, which may have waned for the educated classes, is preserved by the Catholic religion and is more alive among the people than one thinks. Besides, in his critique of the concept of the founder of philosophy of praxis, affirmed in its histori historicity, its transience, he limited its intrinsic value to this historicity, but not deny it. Note one, the phenomenon of the modern breakdown of parliamentarism can offer many examples of the function and concrete value of ideologies. The way in which this breakdown is presented so as to hide the reactionary tendencies of certain social groups is of the greatest interest. Uh, Q10, 11, some weird symbol, 41, Part 12. I do not know how to read that. I was trying to do the, the reading, the, the little. This is where the notebook came from, and I could not read it. <laughs> it's very weird. So it's Quaderni 10, notebook 2. Quid, Quaderni? Quaderni is notebook in Italian, but it's like notebook and then section 2, chapter 41. Oh, oh, that's and then chapter. Seven, and that's then what that section means? seven. That makes sense. Gotcha. Yeah, that means chapter. Yeah, it's like a it's like a legal note. Huh. Interesting. It looks like the asset from German. Yeah. Yeah. But um, that just a note. Yeah. The he mentioned the word subaltern a few times. He's and if you're ever read like post-colonial anything or heard someone give a speech about post-colonial anything, um, you've probably heard the word subaltern. And he's he's the one who came up with the term subaltern. 
Um, but co post-colonial studies ruined that term. <laughs> um, they use it very differently. And for him, the subaltern is the underclass. So it's the peasantry, it's the immigrant workers, it is like the non-essentially non-labor aristocracy. It's like the, the worst off of the worst off of the working class. For the uh, post-colonial studies people, the subaltern are like the uh, colonized or the post-colonized people of the global south. So it's devoid of class analysis, specific, like they purposefully stripped it of class analysis. So there can't be any subaltern groups in Europe or the US or China unless we're talking about colonized people within those countries. For Gramsci, you to be subaltern, you have to be a worker of some kind. Okay. That's good. I also wanted to touch on that, that ideologies. There's a very interesting point that I think we kind of talk. It's, it's one of those things where there's an intrinsic knowledge where you talk about it when you're being rational, but, um, but you never really spell it out. And that's that a lot of times, you know, we've got to look at history to understand current conditions and the current superstructure. And when we say the old superstructures, as well as the base influence, the new superstructure, People a lot of times think of that as like the conditions that 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 carry with it or the relations and things, but sometimes it's just the ideology. So when you're looking at an ideology, it's not only important to see the conditions it rises from, if you want to explain that ideology or why people adapt it, but also like the ideological history in that setting too. You know, like white supremacy in the United States, you can you can name all the material conditions for why it exists, and that's important. But you shouldn't ignore like the ideological history of its dominance in the United States. Um, and with that, we will move on from political ideologies to just Section Eight ideologies. It seems to me that an element of error in assessing the value of ideologies is due to the fact, by no means casual, that the name ideology is given both to the necessary superstructure of a particular structure and to the arbitrary elucidation. What the fuck? Uh, how do you say that word? Elucidations? Whatever, that's what I'm going with. Of particular oh, individuals. <laughs> the bad sense of the word has bad fucking word you the bad sense of the word has become widespread with the effect that the theoretical analysis of the concept of with the effect that the theoretical wait repeating lines that the theoretical analysis of the concept of ideology has been modified and denatured. The process leading up to this error can be easily reconstructed. Reconstructed. One, ideology is identified as distinct from the structure, and it is asserted that it is not ideology that changes the structures, but vice versa. Two, 
It is asserted that the given political solution is ideological, i.e. that it is insufficient for changing the structure, although it thinks that it can do so. It is asserted that it is useless, stupid, etc. Three, one then passes to the assertion that every ideology is pure appearance, useless, stupid, etc. This is critiquing <laughs> This is just like, yeah, Zizak's uh, an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> I love that that we're getting right into Zizak and the ideology section. Oh, Zizak, um, whatever. I, I did, I did uh, uh, want to... Uh, look up elucidations just so that we understood. And that's just like really difficult study and writing it down apparently. Or... So uh, one must therefore distinguish between historically organic ideologies, those that is, which are necessary to a given structure and ideologies that are arbitrary, rationalistic willed to the extent that ideologies are historically necessary. They have a validity, which is psychological. They organize human masses. They form the terrain on which men move, acquire consciousness of the, of their position, struggle, etc. To the extent that they are arbitrary, they only create, individual movements, polemics, and so on, through even these are not completely useless since the f they function like an error which by con contrasting with truth demonstrates it. Okay. Yeah. Ideology is actually somewhat important and maybe people should care about what people actually believe even though they might say something you agree with. <laughs> Wild, Crazy. wild, unheard of. Okay, validity of ideologies. Remember the frequent affirmation made by Marx on the quote solidity of popular beliefs as a end quote as a necessary element of a specific situation. What he says, more or less, is quote when this way of conceiving things has the popular force of beliefs end quote etc. This is him quoting out of memory again. <laughs> Find these statements and analyze them in the context in which they are expressed. In parentheses. Another affirmation of Marx's is that a popular conviction often has the same energy as a material force or something of that kind, which is extremely significant. The analysis of these propositions tends, I think, to reinforce the conception of historical block in which precisely material forces are the content and ideologies of, wait, in which precisely material forces are the content and ideologies are the form, are the content and ideologies of the form. God damn it. Though this distinction between form and content has purely indicative value, since the material forces could be inconceivable historically without form and the ideologies would be individual fancies without the material forces. 10. Analysis of situations, relations of force. 
It is the problem of the relations between structure and superstructures, which may which must be accurately posed and resolved if the forces which are active in the history of a particular period are to be correctly analyzed and the relation between them determined. Two principles must orient the discussion. One, that no society sets itself task, tasks for whose accomplishment the necessary and sufficient conditions do not either already exist or are not at least beginning to emerge and develop. Two, that no society breaks down and can be replaced until it has developed all the forms of life which are implicit in its internal relations. Quote, No social formation is ever destroyed before all the productive forces for which it is sufficient have been developed, and new superior relations of production never replace older ones before the material conditions for their existence have matured within within the framework of the old society. Mankind thus inevitably sets itself only such tasks as it is able to solve since closer examination will always show that the problem itself arises only when the material conditions for its solution are already present, or at least in the course of formation, end quote. Quoting directly from preface to a contribution of the critique of political economy. (laughs) Off the top of his head. <laughs> the entire library off the dome all the time. <laughs> this motherfucker. I'm like, what's that one DiCaprio movie with those shitty people in the cast? And it's like everyone, every one of those movies he's in, you know? <laughs> all of them. <laughs> Here I am in almost every conversation I have going like, what's the word where they for like pizza box? <laughs> Wait, what? 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 I I'm like on a medication where like it makes you forget words. But what word for pizza box? Is there a different word? No, just, I'll just forget what the word pizza box is. Oh, okay, okay. In I'm the just... middle of a sentence, and this motherfucker's in prison. I I do that all the time, not as a side effect of something. So <laughs> and this motherfucker's in prison. <laughs> Bone marks off the dome. <laughs> Ah, uh, this asshole making us all look bad. Uh huh. From a from a reflection on these two principles, one can move on to develop a whole series of further principles of historical methodology. Meanwhile, in studying a structure, it is necessary to distinguish organic mo- movements (parentheses relatively permanent) from movements which may be termed "quote unquote" conjunctural. Parentheses, and which appear as occasional, immediate, almost accidental. End parentheses. Conjunctural phenomena too depend on organic movements to be sure, but they do not have any very far reaching historical significance. They give rise to political criticism of a minor day to day character, which has at its small at its subjects, small ruling groups and personalities with direct governmental responsibilities. Organic phenomena, on the other hand, give rise to socio-historical criticism, whose subject is wider socio-social groupings, 
beyond the people with immediate responsibilities and beyond the ruling personnel. When a historical period comes to be studied, the great importance of this distinction becomes clear. A crisis occurs, sometimes lasting for decades. This is something really key that we should remember for the, the entirety of the rest of the, uh, this book and beyond this book. This exceptional duration means that incurable structural contradictions have revealed themselves, meaning reached maturity, and that despite this, the political forces which are struggling to conserve and defend the existing structure itself are making every effort to cure them within certain limits and to overcome them. These incessant and persistent efforts, since parentheses, since no social formation will ever admit that it has been superseded, and parentheses, form the terrain of the quote-unquote conjunctural. And it is upon this terrain that the forces of opposition organize. These forces seek to demonstrate the necessary and sufficient conditions all, seek to demonstrate that the necessary and sufficient conditions already exist to make possible, and hence imperative, the accomplishment of certain historical tasks. Parentheses imperative because any falling short before a historical duty increases the necessary or disorder and prepares more serious catastrophes. And parentheses. New parentheses. The demonstration in the last analysis only succeeds and is quote unquote true if it becomes a new reality. If the forces of opposition triumph, in the, in the immediate, it is developed in a series of ideological, religious, philosophical, political, and juridic, juridical polemics, whose concreteness can be estimated by the extent to which they are convincing and shift the previously existing disposition of social forces, end parentheses. Um, oh, I'm. Oh, yeah. go ahead. I was gonna say I'm. I'm hearing that as like you know, we can only properly analyze the end and the the maturation of a historical block before if a new block, if a new like, there's a revolutionary change in into a new block. Like yeah. you can only you can only look at a period if it's in the past. Kind of, but it's it's also more immediate. Because um, remember, he's writing this in prison, so part of this is a self-reflection on like, what did we fuck up? Okay. Yeah. So for him too, it's it's part of it. So like for for that part, it's the the very big important things are we can only really see as a reflection in the past. Like day to day politics are the are the conjunctures. Like the, the, the little petty political crises are no big deal. Um, the, the big historical crises, like the, the crises of capitalism, those are historical events that need more time to figure out what is a crisis, what is just, you know, a bank collapsing, and that's not actually a big deal, all of that stuff. Um, but for him, 
there, there's two important things that are setting up the rest of this essay because this essay is a little long. I don't know if we'll be able to finish it now, but it's that um, first, these crises can last very, very long. So during these crises, you don't have to act immediately. Um, but if you think about in our modern period, neoliberalism is a kind of ongoing long-term crisis that they're constantly trying to fix and solve and deal with and manage, but it can't. <laughs> they keep trying to cut things and cut things and cut things and hoping that cutting is going to, we're going to cut our way out of whatever is going on and is bad. And it just keeps making things worse. Um, and it's just leading us further and further into fascism. Uh so, and this is started in the 1980s, so it's already been 40 years of this kind of neoliberal crisis. And this crisis started out of a crisis of the social democracy. So this is a very long crisis. And from that, it's that there has to be an opposition force going, something new can happen. Because with the whole, you can't just spin change and a new future out of thin air um right i i when i get really aggravated with conversations that i have or debates that i have with people i i usually end up just saying i'm not saying anything new <laughs> well that, that's what i say to everybody i i fucking i'm not smart i'm just yeah. reading what other people fucking said i know like I'm, not, I'm saying shit that's over a hundred years old. We're having the same debates as over a hundred years ago. Um, I want to be able to dream imaginative shit, and here I am thinking about stuff that's been developed 150 years ago. That is is social patriotism with. okay or not? Yeah. Uh, World War One settled that. Thanks. Anyway, does giving does giving people food make them happier? Like, no, we know this shit already. <laughs> like, we we have these crises, and the left is able to not even think its way out of them, but present a future based on the things that we know. We just need to be able to actually present it to people. Um. But these conjunctural moments, then the second part is that the, these conjunctural moments are really big. And like, if I, if you actually picked up Stuart Hall after we read those couple, those two essays, he meant, he says the word conjuncture a lot in his, in his stuff. Um, and then people who write around Stuart Hall also say the word conjuncture. And those are like the, the historical moments. So like we're in a conjuncture right now which is the, the, the war going on, these, these big historical moments that could turn into something or it can just be a flash in the pan. So when there's these things that can turn into something, you have to be able to seize it. Are we, are we going to start calling current events the conjunctures of the day? <laughs> <laughs> I don't see why not. I'm going to use Marvel movies to better conceptualize this. So this is a lot like the incursions in the new multiverse. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I was just. If I you really think about it, the uh, 
the the space the space Asian. I don't remember the what are the what are the 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 gremlins Marvel. What? I heard space Asian gremlin. Yeah. You're gonna you're gonna have to clarify that one, Prince. <laughs> you know, hold on. The scrolls. <laughs> the scrolls. The space, space Asian. Asian? Have have you never seen like old comic books and stuff? I guess not enough. So like in, in like old comic books and cartoons and shit, like the scrolls that are were gonna be in the new Marvel multiverse before a collapse are like really, really orientalized to be just like this unwashed horde of like Asian coded <laughs> Like, they don't win through strength or intelligence or anything. Like, they just win by, like, landing on your shores and having billions of them. And also sometimes tricking you into doing things. Um, this is, yeah, it's really bad. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes Marvel stuff should be just like, you should check out how shitty they represented this. And then just leave it at that. Because that just was like hard to hear you should just be glad that you were represented in a multi-billion dollar film series yeah Chocta. <laughs> or i don't know i think uh the new one is echo that's a oh god i think she's lakota even the character they at least were they at least used our origin like our creation story so <laughs> Either it was extremely oriental, orientalized, orientalism. How would I say orientalizing. that? Orientalizing. But um, yeah, that was. Uh, <laughs> my dad was like, "Yeah, they're talking about Wind Cave," and I was like, "Oh no, we're not gonna go see what this is." <laughs> and the last Disney movie I saw with uh, Lakota in it, it was. Uh, West Studi even was playing the Lakota person, but it's—I shouldn't say person. It was the spinoff of Cars, Airplanes, and it was the straight-to-DVD sequel, Fire Rescue. <laughs> and West Studi played this Lakota helicopter, who's obviously Lakota, named Win, like Wind Taker or something like that. Oh and <laughs> I mean, like. The only time you heard him talk or like make noise was like your most stereotypic. I call them uncle noises, but like you know, like, hey, hey. I mean, like it sounds like a, a Dallas Goldtooth character and uh, you know, Res Dogs. You know, I I think you know it's a little more innocent if it's like a whole production of you know indigenous people and stuff like that but if you just played a stereotype like that for disney for a spin-off cartoon it's just like this is just so racist because like he's like the first time you hear him talk he's like the ancestors they danced around you know like you know, like the most stereotypic shit and i'm just like what am i what am i watching with my kid right now <laughs> This is representation for him. Yeah. It's very cool. <laughs> and what's even more messed up besides like, oh, it's a military hot helicopter. 
that's named after the people of the military genocide. The fire rescue in California is done by mostly prison slave labor. You know, like... <laughs> There's a lot of apology and whitewashing going on in that movie. Let me tell you. Um, <laughs> I, I took up next the time we'll... with airplane talk. <laughs> <laughs> next time we will start uh, on slide 151 right at the bottom, basically to slide 152 with the common error and historical political analysis. Um, in the meantime, uh, this has been Mark's Madness Pod. We read books, and Shugmani uh, 2 will let you know about a number of ways to get a hold of us. All right. So, of course, you have the Mark's Madness, uh, Madness Pod at gmail.com. You have Chunkaluta Network at gmail.com. You can also message the old bands of Turtle Island at gmail.com. That's the one I check. So, I can promise I will see it. I don't know about these other ones. <laughs> More likely to get a hold of us, though, reach out on some of the many social media we have a presence on. So uh, um, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, Twitter, that's X now, I guess. Uh, whatever. We also have a Discord that's free to the public that you can access through the Mark's Madness Twitter. Um, or you can come over and be a monthly sustainer for the organizing efforts of the Chunkaluta Network and gain access to the Patreon Discord, which is... <sighs> you get blown up by me basically all day trying to organize shit, and you just get to see it happen for public accountability. <laughs> it's basically it. <laughs> There's some good news channels. Uh, we have a library. You can get access to this reader if you're looking for it. Um, a lot of other things too. There's access to colonial. Yeah, yeah. Just whatever so you need a PDF of. I think it's like two gigabytes or something like that. An insane amount of books. An insane amount of books, actually. And uh, you know, a lot of good recommendations for decolonial theory. Uh, literally, we're organizing it into a recommended list, a required reading list, and then just a general library of shit for you to have access to. Um. You know, uh, uh, our goal is $2,000 a month by the end of the year to s support the survival of uh, several organizers and then pay for transcription work for stuff like this. So that way, you know, um, it's more accessible is basically it. Sometimes we say worthwhile things in the little bits in between. So it's like, oh, hey, people should be able to set up easy it's gonna on the deer um uh what else well, so we're raising money for Shipitaria at this order at one thousand sixty need the end month uh and that will be filled with supplies and stuff to send out to uh, Pine Ridge, so like uh, there's a wheelchair that's in there, a um, bunch of other stuff. I can't really talk about the prices of things because you know, like we're getting it like free, and then you have to report it to uh, <laughs> what's it called? Customs, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, you just shouldn't talk about that stuff in case like 
what I say here doesn't match up with what it actually gets put on the paper. Cause I'm not the one doing that paperwork. So another organizer is, you know, I'm just, I'm here to tell people about this shit, you know? Um, and so that's being bought in Toronto. So if you're in the Toronto area and uh, you want to see a list of things, go to the eco just food networks, Instagram. They have some lovely slides explaining everything. And we're going to be working on some CLN branded stuff for that. Uh, but basically, the storage container gets sent there. All the stuff gets distributed real quick. Usually only takes a week at most. And then, uh, you know, uh, the shipping container can either A, be shipped again, or B, be used as storage for building materials and stuff like that. And so when we bring like a U-Haul out, we can start bringing prefabricated walls for A-frames or compost toilets Yada, yada, yada. There's a bunch of different stuff going on. There's a caravan uh, coming out in March with our permaculture experts, and they're going to be bringing like a whole worm farm and uh, soil creation set up that <laughs> a couple trees. Uh, <laughs> they're bringing like a whole library, uh, a bunch of donated stuff. There's a bunch of different stuff going on. Um, a group in Arkansas is getting ready to bring up a bunch of winter gear again and more wood. Um, and then we have the May construction caravan and a bunch of other stuff that you can go read about on the Patreon or any of the social media. Uh, but you know, the Patreon is a, place you can support us so maybe i don't know we're already halfway there to the two thousand dollar goal too so you know why not um but it pays for stuff like the stream yard as well um the stream yards used by more than just marks madness too um it's open to like anybody in the network to use so um and actually the marks madness guys pay for half of it so <laughs> you know <laughs> there's a the a lot of group effort going into making everything happen here and uh, a lot going on behind the scenes. That's like our own money and stuff. I don't think a lot of people realize that like, you know, if I don't ask for donations because I covered it myself, you know, <laughs> I don't have a lot of money. I take $500 from the Patreon for my survival and I'll give people money out of that. You know, um, not the wisest choice, but I survive. Uh, and so, like, basically, we would provide $500 for the permaculture experts, and that's going to be, like, a group of them permanently on the land. Uh, the caravan people that are involved is going to be, like, a welder and stuff, doing some uh, work, um, fabricating some furnaces stuff while he's there. Um, and then on the, from the West Coast, when we come for the construction journey, there's a bunch of stuff, I guess, to pick up. So... <sighs> And I have to organize it all. <laughs> so anyway, you know, I think we're worth supporting. We're kind of, you know, doing a lot of cool shit. We just bought somebody's house. And then, yeah, I don't know. That's cool. It's a cool sentence. It's only two weeks into the year. Yeah, no, that's a good one. <laughs> yeah, and... and Yeah, we could casual. <laughs> Um, also, did we mention too that there's a link tree with a lot of these the stuff in there too? So it's uh, linked to. Oh yeah, yeah. Everything's found at the link tree. Um, yeah, yeah. All of the social media. I think Mark's Madness's Twitter is at the bottom. Um, we're working on um, 
compiling all the associated projects and stuff like that. Like uh, we just launched the indigenous anti-colonial Institute and that's going to be a group of, you know, indigenous people from across the world, uh, pushing, uh, our interpretations of Marxism, you know, uh, and, uh, it's controversial. <laughs> it's only controversial because we live in a world dominated by settler hegemony, I think. But, uh, you know, uh, I think a lot of people have been waiting for an explicitly and unabashedful Marxist indigenous voice. So why not fill that niche? Uh, so here we are, uh, looking forward to the rest of the year and glad that everybody could be here for two episodes in a row now. Good on. Yeah, that's good. That's <laughs> So with that, this has been Mark's Madness Pod, our Mark Madness Podcast. Uh, we read books, part of Chunkaluta Network. My name's David. I'm Prez. And I'm Shingmani, too, that's yawning. <laughs> and we will see you next week. Bye. Bye. Dolce. <laughs> <laughs>